Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Isaiah 58. If you've got a Bible, just encourage you to open it up. Great. So we're going to look at Isaiah 58, but just to give you a couple of pieces of context before we launch into what this amazing chapter says for us. I just want to give you a little bit of, I suppose, a bit of our story as parents. We moved to Edinburgh And one of the big differences as we came from Sheffield to Edinburgh was our school run. So there's some of you that are parents here, others of you who have yet to have that joy and challenge of being parents. But the difference for us was one very simple but quite significant one. In Sheffield, we used to uh, leisurely open the front door, unstressed, having had beautiful kind of edifying conversations over breakfast in no way frazzled with our three children. And we just used to step off the doorstep, turn right, walk 10 meters, turn at the corner shop, and then we had 400 meters and we were at school. So literally, you could walk to the end of the, the, uh, the, sh- the road, stand at the shop, and however far the kids went ahead of you, you knew that eventually they would hit the school. There was kind of small margin for error in our parenting. But the, the reality as we moved to Portobello was, unhelpfully, there were roads on the school run. There were roads between us and school. And so very quickly, the process of training the kids, they were aware of roads to not run across them. But the process of actually getting them ready to cross the road um, was a little bit of a struggle, a bit of a challenge, and it was a new thing for us. And when we look at Isaiah 58, the tone is something along the lines of this. And for those of you that are parents, you'll, you'll know, if you can picture the road being the wonderful bit of space here, and as a parent, you're walking along, and usually the kids are probably between 5 and 50 metres ahead of you. Yeah? Don't know about you. We generally don't manage to keep the, parent, uh, keep the kids anywhere close to us. They're kind of somewhere in the distance. And you as a parent, you can see what's coming. The road is ahead. And generally, this is, this is usually how it goes. It's like, sweetheart, just watch the road. And I'm getting closer. They're getting closer. It's like, buddy, just watch that road. It's coming. Josiah, stop. It kind of goes from, just watch, watch the road, sweetheart. It'll be fine. To, it's coming, careful. To, you're going to kill yourself. Stop. And it's like, sweetheart, buddy, Josiah. And, and you get that kind of tone. And as we look at Isaiah 58, we haven't got the children of Israel. I love you. You're beautiful. Or we haven't even got the, you're my chosen people, I love you. It's the descendants of Jacob, stop. Because this chapter helps us to locate the journey that God's people were going on. God as a father, the parental voice was one where he knew his people were coming to a crossroads. He knew that there was danger ahead. And if you look at the first couple of verses of 58 it says this shout it aloud do not hold back 
Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. It wasn't children of Israel, you're my chosen people, I love you. It was descendants of a rebellious, scheming father. You need to stop. You are in danger of hurting yourself and others. And I don't shout at my kids just to shout at my kids. I shout at my kids because if they step into the road, they die. That's worth shouting for. That's worth raising my voice, changing my posture and my tone to say, stop. And in this chapter, what we see is a parent who is calling his children to stop because he sees danger ahead. There's a road ahead. He's not being mean. He's not trying to condemn them. He's trying to save them. But sometimes that saving requires challenge. And in this chapter, we can see three things in the heart of this parental God who can see his children heading towards danger and destruction. We can see a parent. We can see a God who desires relationship. We can see through the verses of Isaiah 58, a God who desires relationship. We can also see a God who gives his people the challenge of responsibility. You're my children and this is what I expect for you. This is what I have for you. This is what I expect for you. But in this chapter and all the way through scripture and all the way through history, and this is probably one of the things that marks God out for us is there's an invitation to respond. He's not forcing himself upon them. There's not a domineering, dictatorial God who says, you must, you have to. He gives his children the chance to respond to him. And so as we look at 58, one chapter in the journey of Isaiah. We have a parent who can see destruction ahead, who is chastening and challenging his children. We can see a God, a parental God, who has a desire for relationship with his children. I look at my kids, and honestly, we said this morning, if you say the wrong thing, it doesn't matter. There's no right answer this morning. I love you. I'm your dad. Your mum's your mum. We love you. It doesn't matter. But we do want the best for them. We'll love them regardless, desire for a relationship, but we want the best for them. What parent doesn't want the best for their child? And we want to call the best out of them, sometimes challenging them, sometimes encouraging them. And that's God's offer and invitation to us but that we're giving them the chance to grow into that. We're not telling them what they should, we're giving them the chance to step up. And through this chapter, what I want you to think about is this. There's not a distant, far-off God. He's not shouting from a distance. Using Isaiah, when I engage with Samuel, Samuel reaches my tummy. And if I talk down to him, it's very hard for him to get 
my eyeline because he'll just get a crick in his neck. So the way that I talked to Samuel is I just, I crouched down and I would catch his eye and I would talk to him. And either I would encourage him and say, well done, buddy, you did brilliantly, I love you. Or I'd say, mate, there's more. You can't just go and punch your brother. You can't just go and take your sister's whatever. We're not going to feed you Starburst and Haribo for breakfast. That's not cool. I know I used to do it as a student. That's not the, that's not the reason. And in Isaiah, what I want you to understand is that God uses Isaiah. He crouches down to his children and he talks to them on an eye-to-eye level. He doesn't shout from a distance. He draws close to us and that's what he does today. This morning, my hope is that the Holy Spirit, through this word, allows you to see God on eye-to-eye level. Not shouting from a distance where you crick your neck and go, I don't really know what you mean, ouch. But somebody and someone who comes close. And so as we look at what God says to us, I'm going to pray for us as we open his word. But know that this morning you have a God who crouches down to look you in the eye. You have a God who desires to come to your level and speak to you. He doesn't have to, but he wants to. I don't have to as a parent. I want to as a parent. I want relationship. I want to know my two boys and my girl. I love them. I want the best for them. I want to call the best out of them, release all that God's placed in them. And I want to give them the chance to come into that adventure with me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that speaks life to us. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that brings life to us. Lord, help our hearts to be good soil this morning. Lord, let what is scattered hold and take root and produce harvest in our lives. Lord, let it not be encouraging on Sunday, but let it be instructive on Monday. Lord, let your word and your spirit lead us to be different, to live different, Monday through Saturday. So Lord, remind us of who you are. Help us to hear what you'd say to us and give us courage and boldness to put it into practice. Amen. Amen. So Isaiah 58, there's a journey that we go on. If you've got a Bible, I'd really encourage you to pull it out, have a look, and we can kind of journey together. If you've got a smartphone, an iPad, get it out. It's Angry Birds or Isaiah 58, your choice. I'll never know. As long as you smile, probably about every five, ten minutes, I'm good. Yeah? So, three things, three distinct stages of Isaiah 58 that we see in this chapter. The first stage is God, through his prophet speaking reality, saying this is what's going on. This is the deal, guys. This is it. The second stage of Isaiah 58 is that 
through what God says through Isaiah, he begins to start a recalibration. He begins to change some of the fixed points of their understanding, of their mindset, of their behavior. And finally, as we come to the end of our journey through Isaiah 58, he begins to shift the reward. What is the reward? How do we get it? Who gets it? What does it look like? So this start is reality. Then it journeys through to recalibration and it finishes with reward. And Anna and I have a a dialogue that goes something like this. We'll be doing something as a family. We might be on the beach enjoying a kind of balmy Scottish January afternoon, kind of with like 19 layers on. And just about, you can see kind of eyes through the duffel coat. Um, We might be around the kitchen table, might be playing a board game. We'll be doing something fun as a family. And uh, then what will happen is I will get my phone out and I'll take a little picture because that, that's what I do. I like taking pictures and little mementos. So having fun, take a picture. And then I'll lift my head from the picture. And Anna will look at me and go, you don't have to put that on Facebook. Anyone else? Come on, that moment of public confession. Thank you for your honesty. Anyone else? Who has that dynamic in their relationship? Come on. Yes, thank you. There are two honest people in this room. Come on. You don't have to put that on Facebook. Because the reality is this. We have come to a time in history where we are the most connected and the least known that we've ever been. We're the most connected and the least known we've ever been. Our relationships are relationships of 140 characters. Our relationships are what we've posted on Facebook what we share at a networking lunch, what we talk about in the canteen. But our lives, like our front doors, are closed. And what we see Isaiah challenging, what we see God as a parent challenging, is the reality that the people of Israel had substituted the public for the personal. They'd given up the personal for the public. That relationship had been replaced by ritual. It was all for show. And in verse 5, there's a challenge that the people are given. And basically, God says this. You are publicly and ritually doing what you should do. So he was basically challenging them that they had their sackcloth on. They had the right gear on, that they were lying prostate, that on the Sabbath they were dutifully observing it. But in effect, it was a pick me, pick me fast. It was the dynamic of going, if I do this for you, God, what are you going to do for me? If I do this for you, God, what are you going to do for me? It had moved to be conditional, not covenantal. And again, if we're really honest, and I'm not going to get you to put your hands up this time, if we're really honest, we've all been there, haven't we? Where duty has replaced joy in our relationship with God. We've all been there. It's a duty to pick up my Bible. There's just no life in it. 
There's nothing in me that wants to pray. We should go to church this Sunday. I know that I should dot, dot, dot. The personal replaced by the public. The ritual replacing the relational. And you see what God wants is relationship, not behavior. He doesn't want you to tick certain boxes. He wants you to be his friend. He doesn't want you to tick certain boxes. He wants you to be his friend. And the first five verses, they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what's right. They seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? We're keeping up our side of the bargain, God. Why aren't you doing yours? If I do this, surely God will do that. We're putting conditions into our relationship. It's not pleasant reading. It's really challenged me this week. That's the worst thing about preaching. It's the worst thing. You actually have to stand up and share some of your journey of how the word has impacted you. It's the worst part. And my conviction this week, and in my simple world, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. If you hear these words as challenge and they bring death, that's condemnation. Condemnation is from the devil and brings death. Conviction is from God and brings life. So this has been painful reading for me this week, but it's been painful reading that's bringing life, not painful reading that's bringing death. Because I've had to look at how much do I live and just suddenly repost? How much am I doing on autopilot? How much am I doing because other people expect it? How much am I doing because I've always done it? How much am I doing because I should? A, a good Christian does. It's a challenge. And what God was saying is this is the reality. I've got your behavior. I've lost your heart. God doesn't want your behavior. He wants your heart. He doesn't want your rituals. He wants relationship. And in a busy, noisy, interconnected world, we have to take that word deep into our heart again. Deep into our heart again. And as the prophet speaks challenge and speaks reality, what he begins to do is to recalibrate and shift. So God's basically saying, this is what's happening, the reality. This is what I want for you. This is how it needs to change. And actually, if it changes, this also happens. And the recalibration piece, if you read through, is I would say this life of devotion, this true fasting that God talks about through Isaiah in 58, four simple words to help us to remember it. This life, this true fasting life, this life of devotion is for God 
and for others. It's for every moment and for everyone. It's for God and for good. And it's for everyone and for every moment. Can you say that with me? You ready? After three, one, two, three. It's for good, God. Oh, rubbish. It's even up there. That's poor. Right, let's try again. Apologies. It's, it's bad workman blames their tools. Right, and again, I'm going to look this time. You ready? One, two, three. For God and for good, for everyone and for every moment. For God and for good, for everyone and for every moment. That is what God is requiring and requesting of his children, of his people. And where it starts to get challenging is this. That's not just something passive. It's not just something reflective. What he talks about is how to do that is very, very active. If you read with me. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? Verse 6. To loose the chains of injustice. To untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them. And to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. To loose, to break, to set free, to untie, to share, to provide, to clothe. To loose, to break, to set free, to untie, to share, to provide, to clothe. As I'm learning with my boy, they're doing words. They're active words, aren't they? It doesn't say reflect on. It doesn't say think about. It doesn't say consider. It doesn't say fund somebody else too. It says do. They're doing words. They're required of us. That's part of of the identity of being the people of God. Being good news isn't disconnected from being the people of God. And so on a Saturday afternoon, Anna and I and the kids volunteer at P's and G's. Every Saturday afternoon, there is a meal for the homeless. There's 80 to 100 people and a three-course meal, coffee and tea, fellowship, people sat around tables, people serving these people and it's incredible and what is probably the most challenging is when somebody that you know has slept in a hostel or slept on a street corner says thank you for serving him a cup of coffee. So we really appreciate what you do and you and your kids do to serve us. Honestly, it just makes me want to cry because it completely recalibrates my world. What I chase after, what I prioritize, what I put my energy and effort into. 
It's simply spending ourselves on behalf of the poor. And it's wonderful to hear the stories from Duncan and Mary and the counselling team and all the wonderful things where people are actively spending themselves on behalf of the poor. And when we read this verse, there is a global challenge. We could all name different places in the world where there are the poor, there are the oppressed, there are the naked, there are the hungry. It's a continental challenge. We could all name places in Europe where there's the naked, the oppressed, the poor, the hungry, the burdened. In this city, there are the naked, there are the poor, there are the oppressed. In your street, in your relational influence, there are those that are poor, spiritually or physically poor. There are those that are oppressed, physically or spiritually oppressed. There are those that are naked and hungry, spiritually or physically hungry. Over 6,000 people in Edinburgh are dependent on food bank. Just under 18,000 young people live in households below the poverty line. That's in our city. That's not somewhere else. That's not Calais or somewhere in Greece or somewhere in Africa. That's our city. That's on our watch in our back garden. And what I'm not asking you to do is to give up your job or give up your life savings and completely swing into something that's unrealistic but what I am asking you to do is to begin to pray and ask God what he would have your response be he's inviting you into this story into this adventure words of challenge that bring life not words of condemnation that bring death that was the challenge that this parental God was giving his people You're going down the road of duty, of ritual, of it being public. It's about obligation and conditions, not relationship, intimacy and integrity. And what we see as we read through is this interplay. So if you read from verse 8 through to the end, there's this is how it goes. It goes then and then. If, if, then, if, 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 then. Make sense? Simple? Just checking you're awake. Simple. It says, if you do this, then this will happen. If you do this, then this will happen. If you do this, then this will happen. And some of the then this will happens are... Your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. The Lord will answer. He will say, here I am. Your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will be like the noonday sun. Your, the Lord will guide you always. He'll satisfy your needs. He'll strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden. Your water will never fail. You'll w- rebuild ancient ruins. You'll be repair of walls. You'll be restorer. You'll find joy. You'll ride in triumph and you'll feast. I'd love that. Who's up for that? Come on. That's awesome. Strength, healing, joy, provision, 
influence, impact, change. Come on, yes. Wake me up. I want to do this. But that's the byproduct of the life. And we skip over the ifs. And the ifs, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and doing as you please on the holy day, if you honour it by not going your own way. There's some requirements and some challenges that God gives. And there's an incredible reward, but there's a challenge that he gives. And what I think God's doing here is recalibrating and shifting the definition of reward. Because we, if we think about how the world views reward, it's different from the way that God views reward. The way that the world views reward is that it's personal and it's conditional. I get something for doing something. You perform well, you're rewarded with a pay rise. You have a good salary, you're rewarded with a bigger house. You put a wonderful photograph on Facebook and you're rewarded with multiple likes. What a wonderful world we live in. I'm still trying to break that addiction. You can pray for me afterwards. I have a little court, a little Facebook addicts group in the corner. We can pray for each other. We have that piece of personal and conditional. It's about me. It's what I get. But in God's world, God's economy, reward is communal and covenantal. It's about who you are, your identity and your relationship with God that helps you because you're aligned to have the overflow that not only affects you, but it affects many. So in effect, I would read Isaiah 58 like this. I am rebuilt to be one who rebuilds. I am restored to be one who is a restorer. I am rescued to be one who rescues. I am repaired to be one who repairs. As I engage with what God does in me and to me and for me, the benefit is broad. The benefit is vast. The benefit is for many. If we as disciples and we as a church pursue intimacy and integrity, a connection with God and a life that belongs to him, if we pursue him, then God can position us for kingdom influence and kingdom impact. As we pursue God, he can position us. And that was the message of Isaiah 58. If you pursue me, children of Israel, I can position you as the children of Israel, a blessing to many. Pursue me, intimacy and integrity. And I can position you for great kingdom impact and kingdom influence. As we pursue God, he can position us. So 
I just want you to take a moment and if you feel able to, just close your eyes because I want us just to reflect. The world would say that it's about you. That it's for you. And that it's public acts and it's personal gain. The world would seek to disciple you and say it's about you. That it's for you. That it's about personal acts, public acts and personal gain. And what God says to his children about this life of devotion in the midst of all that goes on, that it's for God, that it's for good, that it's for everyone, and it's for every moment. This loving Father desires relationship with you. Sometimes there's a stern word when he can see danger ahead. Other times he'll crouch down and look you in the eye. He desires relationship. He's challenging you to take responsibility. And he's inviting you to respond. He's calling us to be the people of God in this city. He's calling us to be the people of God in our neighborhoods, at our school gates, in our front rooms, in culture, in government, in education, in business. He's calling us to see the poor, the oppressed, the broken, the naked, the hungry, engaged with, loved, and brought into greater spiritual and physical life. That's what he desires for us. That's who we are. It's not just what we do, it's who we are as the people of God. And so this reminder of who the people of God were, not just the descendants of Jacob, the wrestling, rebellious, frustrated, disappearing people, but the children of God, the family of God. Isaiah 58 says this, this is who you are, this is what I expect, and this is what will happen as you say yes. I would love us individually and corporately to say yes to that. Intimacy and integrity, being God's children and therefore being able to represent and be good news, to restore, to rebuild and to rescue in this city. So I just invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for us. And as I, as I pray for us and pray the words and the truth of Isaiah 58 for us, the band will come and play. We've got some space now. You may want to come forward and just respond to the recalibration, the invitation into relationship again, to pursue intimacy, to make it personal again. Forget ritual, forget public, forget obligation, all the 
paraphernalia of this Christian life, a personal connection with Jesus again. You may want to do that. And if you feel led to do that, just encourage you to come to the front. No one will pray for you. That's between you and God. That's a personal thing. If there's something of stepping into that responsibility of saying, I want to be good news to the poor. I want to see change, impact, and influence in this city, in this culture, in this nation. Then I'd encourage you just to come to the side and we on the prayer team would love just to pray for you. To take that first step to be good news to the poor. So I'm going to pray and then we'll respond in worship. Lord God, in this moment, hear our prayer. Lord, I pray for those of us who have been drifting, busy, stressed, autopilot, pressured. Lord, those of us who've lost that sense of personal joy and overflow and engagement with you. Lord, for those of us that are just doing the right stuff at the right time in view of the right people, Lord, I pray that you'd lead us back to that personal place of a loving God who desires relationship with us. And Lord, for those of us that today have heard the recalibration of our identity and our call as the people of God, to be those that clothe and loose and set free and house and rebuild and restore and rescue. Lord, those of us that are stirred again to be the people of God. Lord, I pray that that seed wouldn't be robbed. It wouldn't grow and wither. It wouldn't be choked. But today it would land on good soil and produce a great harvest that's not just a benefit for us, but a benefit for many. So Lord, draw us back to our identity as children and remind us again of our responsibility as good news people. Amen.